0: Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome to a new episode of Canada, a yearly journey. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. On that note, if you want to donate... If you donate $5, you get a thank you at the start of the next episode of Canadian History X, Canada's Great War, and from John to Justin, and on social media. If you donate $10, you get everything from the $5, plus this episode is sponsored by you, with your name at the start. It's also stated it's sponsored by you on social media. If you donate $20, you get everything from the $5 and $10, plus a second episode sponsored by you and promotion of something you're working on. And if you donate $50, you get everything from the $5, $10, and $20. Plus, you get to choose a topic for me to cover on Canadian History X. You can also donate at buy me a cup of coffee slash Craig U, and all of these links will be in my show notes. If you like, you can email me at craig at CanadaEHX.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history. Just go to Bairdo 37 And if you like, you can find weekly videos about Canada's history on my YouTube channel. Just go to youtube.com slash c slash CanadianHistoryX. You can also find transcripts of every episode I've ever done on my website. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. We begin our trip through Canada's history year by year in this first episode of Canada, A Yearly Journey. Each week, I will take us through a year in Canadian history beginning with 1867 and continuing all the way up to today. A note on this episode, I began my coverage of events on July 1st, the first day of Canada being a country rather than January 1st. This will be the only year that happens. So, let's begin. The big event of the year, of course, was Dominion Day, when Ontario, Quebec, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick formed together to create the Dominion of Canada through the British North America Act. Sir Johnny MacDonald would become the first Prime Minister of Canada. The Kingston Week Standard wrote, The 1st of July has become the most memorable in the public history of this Canada of ours. The day witnessed the inauguration of the Union of the Canadas, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick into a nation, the culmination of the wishes of four million of a prosperous people. End quote. In Kingston, the day was described as dawning with a pleasant sky. The newspaper relates further quote, Old Soul, sending forth his rays to add lustre to the occasion, a gentle breeze took away the effect of the sun's heat, and it would be impossible to conceive a day more suited to the day of all days to Canada. End quote. And while Dominion Day was a big event, it wasn't the only one. It was also on July 1st that the Windsor Police Service was created. The police service would replace the Royal Canadian Rifle Regiment that had been previously serving the community. Now with the new country now formed, there was a great deal of work to be done in regards to who would lead the provinces within the country. Hiram Blanchard would be the first Premier of Nova Scotia, serving in that capacity until September 30th of 1867 when his party was decimated at the September elections by the Anti-Confederation Party. Pierre-Joseph Chavot would become the first Premier of Quebec while also serving as the Provincial Secretary and the Minister of Education. In addition to being the Premier of the province, he also served as a Federal Minister in Parliament. This was allowed until 1874 when the practice was stopped, and he would serve as Premier until 1873. Now, originally, Sir John A. Macdonald had wanted Joseph-Edouard Chavot to be the first premier of the province and had planned to appoint him. But this was met with strong opposition from the Anglophones of Montreal. Chavot's position on public and religious schools had caused controversy, resulting in Pierre-Joseph-Olivier Chavot being appointed the first premier of Quebec. John Sanford Macdonald, not John A. Macdonald, was chosen as the first Premier of Ontario, a position he would hold until 1871. Like Chavot, he also served as an MP in the House of Commons at the same time, and he would also be the last Roman Catholic Premier of the province for the next 132 years. Canada's first official election would take place from August 7th to September 20th. The 1867 election would be the only one that would see just the original provinces of Ontario Quebec, New Brunswick, and Nova Scotia take part. At the time, there were three main parties all vying for control of the House of Commons the Conservatives, also known as the Liberal Conservatives, the Liberal Party, and the Anti Confederation Party. Yes, you heard that right. There was a party that was against Confederation running in the election that came just after Confederation. The Conservatives were led by Canada's first Prime Minister, Sir John A. Macdonald, while the Liberals were without a leader but George Brown was unofficially the leader at the time. Joseph Howe, who had served as the premier of the colony of Nova Scotia from 1860 to 1863, led the anti-Confederation party. The sentiment in Nova Scotia was very much against joining Confederation, and it was through the efforts of Premier Charles Tupper, himself a future Prime Minister, that Nova Scotia joined in 1867. In the federal election, as well as the provincial election at the time, Votes were recorded orally or with a show of hands, and only 13% of the population was actually eligible to vote. This was because to vote, a man had to be 21 years of age or older and be a born or naturalized citizen. They had to own or co own $100 of property in rural areas or $200 in urban areas. In addition to that, they also had to have an annual income of $250. Anyone who is a judge, crown clerk, land office employee, tax and duty collector, or even a postal worker were not allowed to vote. Voting in those days was also a very shady affair and bribes were common. Employers, clergy, and community figures would hang around polling stations and bribe people with food and money. In the 1867 election, Macdonald and the Conservatives cruised to a majority government with 100 seats, taking 34.8% of the vote. The Liberals took 62 seats, while the Anti-Confederation Party picked up 18 seats, all in Nova Scotia. In fact, 18 of the 19 available seats in Nova Scotia went to the Anti-Confederation Party. Of the three parties to exist in this election, only the Conservatives and Liberals would be around for the next election. When Britain refused to allow Nova Scotia to leave Confederation, the movement died away and 11 of the 18 anti-confederation MPs would move over to the Conservatives. The first general election in Ontario's history was held on September 3, 1867. The Conservative Party, as I mentioned, was led by John Sanford Macdonald, while the Liberals were led by Archibald Mackellar. Macdonald was a close friend of Sir John A. Macdonald, but despite the same last name, they were not related. When the election was called, the Conservative government opened polls in districts that felt it could win quickly, then gradually began opening polling in tougher districts in the hopes that voters would be swayed in their decision by early victories for the Conservatives in other districts. At the same time, there was also no Canada Elections Act, and election practices just continued from the colonial period for each province. Restrictions were also placed on who could vote. Obviously, women couldn't vote yet, but in Ontario, an owner or a tenant had to have property worth $200 in an urban area or $100 in a rural area. This meant only 16.5% of adults in Ontario were enfranchised to vote in 1867. Indigenous who met the property qualifications were excluded as well, even though they should have been allowed based on their property rules. The Conservatives and Liberals would both finish with 41 seats, although the Conservatives had a higher percentage of the popular vote. The Conservatives under Macdonald were invited to form a government, which they did with the help of about 15 independents who formed a coalition government with them. With the tied vote, the first government for Ontario was called the Patent Combination because it was a mix of two different parties. The first election in Ontario's history was overall a joyous affair by most accounts. The Kingston Whig Standard wrote, quote. At the close of the polls in Toronto, a grand procession took place in the carriages covering nearly half a mile, heading by a bandwagon drawn by horses. Following this was an open carriage containing the successful candidates, who were loudly cheered as they passed along. There was some controversy, of course, including $10,000 of government money being used to defeat McKellar in his own riding, which was not successful. Over in Quebec, Premier Chavot would appoint his first cabinet and then called the first election in Quebec's history. The election would take place from August to September 1867. Chavot was a member of the Parti Bleu, which would become the Conservatives upon Confederation. The party was well organized and easily adapted to the election call. The Liberals, who had been the Parti Rouge, were not well organized and opposed Confederation. The party was unable to field a full slate of candidates, had no official leader, and were simply not ready for the election. Henri-Gustave Jolet de Lacanier would be chosen as the leader of the Liberals, having been a member of the Legislative Assembly since 1861. Chavon knew that he would have to call an election soon, so he gathered around him a group of legal officers and clerks to form a public service as he prepared his party for the election. For Quebec's first election, there were 65 ridings. And in order to vote, polls were held in open air or in buildings that were free for the public to access along a highway. But polls could not be held in a tavern or place of public entertainment. This was described by the Montreal Star, which stated, About 500 persons assembled opposite the courthouse when the nominations were made at 12 o'clock. The Honourable J.E. Ferriere and the Honourable C.S. Rodler proposed, seconded by Mrs. Torrance and Bellevinier, that Edward Carter be elected to represent Montreal Centre and the local legislature, end quote. Each deputy returning officer had a poll book, and each voter would declare how they were voting. This was then recorded in the poll book. The poll book was then given to the returning officer, who would total all the polls in public and declare which candidate won. Not all the polls were of course completed in the same day, leading the election being spread over the course of two months. In the election, Chavot and the Conservatives won an overwhelming victory, taking 51 seats and 53% of the total vote. The Liberals would win only 12 seats and 35% of the total vote. In some ridings, it was an overwhelming victory with a bit of drama. In one riding, three men put their nominations in to run for the legislature. A man named George Simar would earn 809 of 811 votes. This was because after the nominations were filed, the two men, Blanchet and Garnot, both dropped out. Dr. Blanchet was burned in effigy in front of his house after putting in his nomination, and he would not only drop out of the election, but also leave the party completely. The Montreal Gazette reported, quote, The whole police force rushed upon the mob but were hooted away. The people dispersed in quietness, End quote. Of course, the year 1867 wasn't all about elections. With Canada now a country, Charles Monk, the first Governor-General of Canada, would not only designate Dominion Day as a celebration of Confederation, but he would also persuade the federal government to buy Rideau Hall and make it the official residence of the Governor-General. The cost was $82,000 and the hall remains the Governor-General residence to this very day. For Lord Monk, July 1st was a very big day. The Kingston Whig Standard reported, quote, Lord Monk has just been sworn in Governor of the Dominion. Lord Monk then announced that the Queen had conferred on Mr. John A. Macdonald the dignity of a KCB. Lord Monk shook hands with the judges and Mr. John A. Macdonald, and the public were then directed to retire. The KCB was the knighting, and so it made him Sir John A. Macdonald. It was in Canada's first year that the Canadian Lacrosse Association would be formed, spearheaded by William George Beers, who was the founder of the Montreal Lacrosse Club he would also codify the rules of lacrosse. The association remains to this day the governing body of lacrosse in Canada, and this would make it the first governing body of sport in Canadian history. The Montreal Club was formed on the motto of, Our Country and Our Game, and by the end of the year there were 80 clubs operating across the country. That same year the first tour of the sport would be held overseas when Captain W.B. Johnson organized a tour of England. At the Stansteed Fall Fair in Quebec, the Henry Seth Taylor Steam Buggy debuted. Modelled on a US-built steam car, the vehicle ran thanks to a coal-fired boiler. Steam would move a piston attached to a rear axle, thereby giving it movement. This was the first known car to be built in Canada, but it was never meant for mass production. It was only shown at various fairs in the area. It also had a couple problems too, the chief among them being it didn't have any brakes. The vehicle would sit in a barn for nearly 100 years until it was found in the 1950s and restored. In 1983, it was put in the Canada Science and Technology Museum in Ottawa. In the summer, the O'Keeffe Ranch was founded in the area of Armstrong, B.C., and it would represent the beginning of European settlement in the Okanagan Valley. The ranch was founded by Cornelius O'Keeffe, along with his partners Thomas Greenhow and Thomas Wood, after they drove cattle up to the area in June of 1867. From here the ranch would grow and by 1900 the ranch covered about 12,000 acres. Cornelius would be persuaded to sell over time and he finally would in 1907. But the O'Keeffe family would stay on and ranch in the area but on a smaller scale. Cornelius would pass away in 1919 and his wife Elizabeth followed by his son Tierney would take over the management of the ranch and today it's a historic site you can visit. Several future prominent Canadians would be born in the second half of 1867, but the one I'm focusing on is Thomas Walter Scott, who was born in Ontario on October 27th. Scott would go on to become the editor of the Regina Leader Post, where I used to work, and the first Premier of Saskatchewan from 1905 to 1916. As a Liberal, he is one of only six Liberals to serve as Premier of Saskatchewan. He is also the second longest serving Premier in the province's history and prior to becoming Premier, he would serve in the House of Commons from 1900 to 1904. Scott wanted Regina to be the capital of Saskatchewan, but two-thirds of his caucus wanted it to be Saskatoon. He would insist on Regina, though, and caucus would fall in line, defeating a motion to move the capital 21-2. to It would also be Scott who would choose the location of the legislative building, which was approved in 1906. The cornerstone of the legislature would be laid down by the Duke of Connaught, the Governor-General and favourite son of Queen Victoria. Scott's government would appoint the first Royal Commission in Saskatchewan's history, establish a telephone service, and spend $100,000 on highway construction, a figure that would rise tenfold in only a few years. His government would also increase the number of public schools from 405 to 2,747 during his tenure. In 1909, he would choose to locate the new University of Saskatchewan in Saskatoon, it would be discovered that several liberal MLAs were receiving kickbacks for liquor licenses, public building contracts, and highway work. This would lead Scott to step down as premier in 1916, and Scott would pass away in 1938. There were also a few notable deaths that year, including that of Edward Whelan on December 10th. Considered to be one of the fathers of Canadian Confederation, he was born in 1824 in Ireland and came to Canada at seven years old. Working as a journalist, he supported Confederation and saw it as a good opportunity for Prince Edward Island to control its affairs. He was one of the delegates for PEI at the Quebec Conference. Unfortunately, most of the politicians and citizens from the island did not agree, and PEI would not join Canada until 1873. Bitter over the defeat, his health began to decline in the fall of 1867, before he eventually passed away at the end of the year. The Montreal Gazette reported, quote, Prince Edward Island lost by death its most brilliant writer, and I may add with truth its most influential public man, the Honourable Edward Whalen, Queen's printer and editor of the Charlottetown Examiner. The late lamented gentleman had been ailing since the middle of August last, and not till the last two or three weeks did his distemper assume alarming proportions. He is gone, however, and his adopted country now mourns the death of her most gifted son, whose mantle descends on no man." End quote. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our first look at Canada, a yearly journey. Next time, we're of course looking at 1868. If you like, you can email me at craig at Canada, You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada, ehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to Canada, ehx.com, and clicking Donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons. And I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Wendy Mills. Keelan Pringnitz. Michael Matthews. Joanna Parker. Jeff Dahl. Vobs. Robert Page. Richard D. Colin Johnson. Jeff Hershey. Kyle Murray. Steve Pakin. Matthew Gartho. Lionel Romaine. Dr. Bob Turner. Randy Hayden. Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Shove, Aaron ohara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rowa, Luke S., JP Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Information from Montreal Gazette, Canadian Encyclopedia, Kingston Wig Standard, Ottawa Citizen, Wikipedia, and Maclean's. Thanks, and we'll see you again next time.